So, there's something I need to ask you. I don't think I ever told you what happened to the Minutemen. How I ended up as the last one. Are you really the last Minuteman? Maybe not literally. There must be a lot of former Minutemen out there who gave it up in disgust after the Quincy Massacre. But we were the last active group of Minutemen. And now, well, it's just me. What was the Quincy Massacre? I thought everyone in the Commonwealth knew about that by now. I was with Colonel Hollis's group. A mercenary group called the Gunners was attacking Quincy. The people there called for the Minutemen to help. We were the only ones that came. The other groups, they just turned their backs on us and the folks in Quincy. Only a few of us got out alive. Colonel Hollis was dead. So I ended up in charge of the survivors. We never found a safe place to settle. One disaster after another. You saw how it ended and conquered. As long as you don't give up, the Minutemen will survive. I'm not about to give up, but I can't protect the Commonwealth all by myself. Hell, I could barely protect these people. That's why I'm talking to you. I can't rebuild the Minutemen. But I think you can. Why can't you lead the Minutemen? That's not who I am. I can get my men through a firefight. I can defend a perimeter against all odds. But that's not going to be enough to bring the Minutemen back from the brink. We need someone who can bring the whole Commonwealth together in a common cause. And I think you've got it in you to be that leader. There comes a time in everyone's life, well, every podcaster's, well, every Fallout lore podcaster's life when they have to, you know, talk about that one thing that you kind of didn't want to bring up. You know what I'm talking about, like the most hated person in the Commonwealth. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about Preston Garvey this week. Preston freaking Garvey. And of course, I'm joking about this a little bit. Well, a little bit, because everybody knows the whole meme about there's another settlement that needs your help. And Preston's always there trying to send you out the door to help another settlement and how repetitive that gets. And then we we had some jokes on a previous uh episode where I had the um, the patrons on and we, we talked about uh, Preston Garvey might be the uh, absolute most hated person in the wasteland. Now, of course, all of this is a joke because of the gameplay around this. The character of Preston Garvey, on the other hand, is an interesting guy. He's He's got a little bit of a background. We don't get a whole lot of his background, but we get enough to get a sense of who he is and what he's going through. And I think like all of these characters that if you give it a chance, you'll find something that you can relate to with Preston Garvey. So as always, let's dig right in 
In checking out the different descriptions and wikis and, and things related to Fallout, uh, I think the, my favorite uh, my favorite description of Preston Garvey and kind of breakdown of what he goes through comes from the Gamepedia.com site, which is merging with uh, Fandom.com, which I, I use both. I pull from both of these. Um, but it's sad to see them merge and one of them go away because I like sometimes I like the way things are written more in one than the other. So let's just dig into it. It says here, armed with a laser musket and a healthy respect for American revolutionary history, Garvey is the last Minuteman in the Commonwealth. He idealized the Minutemen since childhood as the only good guys all across the Commonwealth. He joined Ezra Hollis and his company as soon as he turned 17, and for a few years, he was part of something bigger, trying to make a difference and the Commonwealth a better place. His idealism caused him to turn a blind eye to the politicking and rivalry between various groups of the Minutemen that emerged after General Becker's death. By the time he finally realized the Minutemen were rotten to the core and falling apart, it was too late for him to reverse course. That moment was the Quincy Massacre. Garvey's was the only Minutemen unit to respond to a call for help. The other Minutemen turned their backs on each other and the people of Quincy. With not enough bodies or firepower, a battle turned into a massacre. By the time Preston led the last survivors out of the city into the wastes with gunners in pursuit, only a handful remained. After losing them in Jamaica Plain, he tried to find a safe harbor for him and the refugees. Passing over Diamond City and the beleaguered Bunker Hill, he was looking for a new home and a fresh start. Lexington looked attractive until the feral ghouls infesting the ruins of the town forced them to flee, killing most of the 20 people remaining after the long fight. Concord was the next stop, but they ran afoul of raiders. The day before the sole survivor came, there were still eight people trying to hold out against the onslaught. By the time they arrived in the town, Preston's group shrunk to five, with only the former Minuteman in fighting shape. So already we have a story here that's showing a a youth of 17 who idealizes the Minutemen because they are the good guys, or in his eye, they were the good guys. They were the only ones really who cared about the well-being of other people in the Commonwealth. The only ones who would put other people's needs and safety above their own. So things, of course, go wrong. And I feel like this is a story a lot of us go through in our younger days, especially when we hit about college age. College age, for most people, is this time of ideologizing. Is that a word? Of thinking about the way things should be, and being really upset that the world just isn't as good as you believe it should be, that people should be better, that we ourselves should be better, that things are not fair, and that if you could only have the opportunity, you'd fix it. And I feel like we go through that a lot in that age. And it's part of becoming aware of the bigger world around us and the way things actually work. Because for the first time in our lives, we are thrown out into the world. We come from 
a household, usually a an upbringing where even if you have a rough upbringing, at least you have some sense of security for the most part, a regular schedule, a world that's only so big. And then you get to about college age and whether you go to college or not, let's say late, late teens, early twenties, and you are now thrown into the world, whether you're working, you're going to school, you're seeing and interacting with people beyond what you did before. You're starting to care about things like politics and the way we should or shouldn't interact with with the world, morals, those kinds of questions. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to be a citizen? These kinds of questions usually don't really, really come up until we're out on our own. And it's because we are going through another phase of defining our identity. We go in development, you go through multiple of these as you grow up. As a small child, you're basically learning to interact with the world around you. You're not too worried about your identity. And then as an older child, and then especially by the preteen kind of area, like the middle school age, you really start to start think about yourself and your place in the world and who you fit in with and who you're like and who's different from you and and what does that mean? And then all through your teenage years, you start to figure out who that is, or at least who you think you are, or who you're being defined as by the people around you. And you develop an identity, usually by about 15, 16 years old. You have an identity. I'm the kind of kid who does this. I'm the kind of person who sits at this lunch table. I listen to this type of music. I think these things are cool, and I think all of these other things suck. (laughs) And that's kind of who you become. Until you're thrown into a new situation. And that happens after high school. And at that time in your life, you see the bigger picture. Or at least you start to see the bigger picture for the first time. And to bring this back around to Preston Garvey, that's exactly what he went through. But not only did he go through that, he had the opportunity to be part of who he believed to be the good guys and to be inside that and then to watch it fall apart, to watch his beliefs about the world be shown that they're not true. And what does that do to somebody? And I think this happens to a lot of us. But here's the thing. It's a good thing. This isn't a bad thing. Becoming aware and taking stock of the things that you believed and the things that you thought and having to readjust your opinion about the world is not only a good thing and is healthy, but it's also something that shouldn't just happen once. It's something that we should, and and I rarely use the word should on this show, but I'm going to use it here because I think that on a fundamental level, if we set ourselves with a mindset of constantly reevaluating the things that we think we believe, the things that we think we know, that we get closer and closer to the truth. And that as soon as you stop doing that, you lock yourself into something that is ultimately going to be false because you've closed yourself off to other potentials. And this isn't a justification to do something crazy like, well, I've never taken uh, LSD before, so why not? I mean, 
this isn't this isn't a you should try everything once kind of thing. This is a from an idea standpoint, we need to be aware of the things that we believe, the things that we take to be truth that are untested. And we need to systematically test them. It's part of growing as an individual. It's part of learning where you're blind. Imagine if we didn't do that when it came to our haircuts. What if we got a haircut once when we were seven and we (laughs) looked in the mirror and we thought, yeah, that looks good. And then we never looked in a mirror again and we just kept getting that same haircut every month or however often you, you go get your haircut. Wouldn't you want to take a look in the mirror at the age of like 22 and decide if you still like the haircut? This is the same thing that we do with our beliefs. We come up with a set of beliefs at a certain stage in our lives, and then we just wear those beliefs and we stop looking in the mirror. I think that's probably a really good analogy for that. And in, and I know I've gone on a little bit long with this, but I, I want to get to the point here because this is the crux of who Preston Garvey is. He went through this situation and he came out changed. And here's the thing. Because he wasn't ready to deal with the fact that the world is more difficult than he believed, that the good guys aren't always the good guys, he was almost ready to give up. Check this out. It goes on and says, Preston considers himself unfit to remake the Minutemen. He knows he's a good soldier, able able to hold a position for as long as necessary, but he doesn't think he has the necessary qualities to make a good leader. That's why he offers the position of general to the sole survivor, whom he believes can make a difference and bring the Minutemen back from the brink. However, that's not the whole story. The Quincy Massacre and the ensuing desperate fight across the Commonwealth resulted in severe post-traumatic stress disorder. His last stand at Concord was the lowest point of his life, and he was ready to die, considering it just punishment for the mistakes he made for failing people who relied on him, for the deaths of his friends, and the death of all he believed in. And I really like the way this was summarized here. This wasn't PTSD just from being in a combat situation, although that occurs, that's a very real thing. This was PTSD from failing his friends and the cognitive dissonance, and that's a psychological term, of dealing, uh, of having to deal with the cognitive dissonance and being able to, to see it directly in the results of the people around him failing at what he believed they t- them to be. He believed the other leaders among the Minutemen were good people. He believed that they would come to the, to the rescue of the people who needed it. And they didn't show up. They left. They gave up. It was too hard. And here's the thing about Preston. Preston cared and believed and acted even when it seemed like it was the most dangerous thing to do. He still followed through with it because he was not only a good soldier, but he was a moral person. He had decided when he became part of the Minutemen to live his life a certain way to give his life for the safety of others. And when he saw that the other people that he respected could no longer hold to that vow, 
it threw his world in turmoil. It wasn't just the combat. It was that. It was the people around him dying. It was the string of unfortunate circumstances that tore them apart piece by piece and left him as the only one remaining. That's Preston's story. And what's even more interesting about this, I'm going to get into after the break, so stay tuned. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. Hey there, Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers. Welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. I am your host, Tom, or Robots, as always. And I appreciate you guys tuning in every week. This has been quite the interesting last few months, so I'm not going to go into that stuff. But um, because of that, I have relocated my recording setup into our extra room. And I've moved things around a little bit. I was recording in our office. Then my wife needed the office because she's working from home. So I've been kind of splitting time in the office with time in a closet. But the closet was getting kind of, I don't know, cramped. I mean, it is a closet, right? So now I've moved into the extra bedroom that we have, you know, for guests or my daughter when she comes and stays with us. Um, so <laughs> I'm in here with uh, wicker furniture from my parents like 20 years ago and old looking bedspreads and um, a completely untreated room. So I hope the audio isn't too echoey. It is a little bit different than it normally is, but maybe it won't sound too different. We're going to have to see once I finish this in post. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm at right now. And, um, you know, just kind of hanging in there. So just thought I'd, I'd put it out there. Um, but also been playing a lot of Fallout 76 and well, not a lot as, as much as I can and have really been enjoying it. Got the, um, astronaut got the astronaut thing going with the astronaut lady in my camp that's really cool um so anyway if you want to learn more about fallout 76 and my adventures and some of the things that ken and dave are getting into then go listen to the fallout hub that's our our show it's we're i think i don't know what six episodes in now and have been a lot having a lot of fun with that and lots of tips for gameplay in fallout 76 as well so if you want to min max your character or learn about what's going on in the wasteland to kind of prep yourself that's the place to go otherwise you guys know how to help support the show sharing with a friend um leaving a rating or review, which I'll read out at the end of the month, that kind of stuff. So thank you again for all of your support and for tuning in each week. And now we'll get back to the rest of the episode. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. All right. So I, I gave you a little teaser. I don't usually do that. I don't usually tease the after the break thing, but I gave you a little teaser about what the most interesting thing about this is. And I'm just going to finish reading the article on this right here. And it says, even if he survived Concord, Garvey was ready to end his life through other means, not necessarily nine grams of lead to the temple, but allowing the wasteland to kill him in one last fight. He was going to go out a soldier. The soul survivors intervention and rebuilding of sanctuary is the first step in healing these wounds. It would also allow him to explore the Commonwealth wealth proper and see places he's never been to, like Good Neighbor, because you can bring him around because he's a companion, right? So here's the thing about Preston. He believes that he's not the leader that needs to be the leader, the general of the Minutemen. And my thought on that is that that is exactly the opposite for a few reasons. One he says it because he's afraid. 
He's afraid of being the general. He's afraid of losing people again. He's afraid of making the wrong decisions. And letting fear make our decisions is usually not the best course of action. So number two, he is fundamentally an honest and moral person. Who better to lead the one organization in the Commonwealth who's actually about helping everybody in the Commonwealth than a truly fundamentally moral and good person? And sure, that comes with its own hardships. Sometimes being honest, being forthright with people can lead to being taken advantage of because people know who you are. They know what you say is true. And they know that if they get your your faith in them, that they might be able to take advantage of you. That is a real dilemma. But fundamentally, if you're going to create a good organization, then you need to have a good person at the head of that organization to set the standards. And that doesn't mean that you you don't have to be firm or that you have to be an idiot, somebody who can get taken advantage of. And that's the other side of this is that not only is Preston a good person, but he's seen what happens when people go against the things that they're going to say. People don't stand up and follow through or people lie. He's no longer naive to the world, but he's still fundamentally a good person. That's crucial. And the third point about this is that Usually the people who end up in power are the people who want to be in power. And usually the people who want to be in power want to be in power for the wrong reasons, because of the personal benefit of being in power. If we could choose our leaders by the people who are least wanting the job, then that might actually be, those might actually be the best people for the job somebody who doesn't want to deal with all the all the hurdles and all the difficulties of being a leader might actually be the right person because they're going to do the job differently and they're going to put other people's needs above their own this is a fundamental issue we have with the way the world works and the way humans operate this happens in all sorts of different areas corporate CEOs politics, uh, policing, those kinds of things. Usually people seek a certain type of career because it gives them something that they are lacking. It's either money, it's power, it's influence, it's identity, it's something like that. And the people who are seeking power the most are usually doing it for the wrong reasons. So that's that's my perspective on Preston and why he is probably actually the best leader for this. But in his case, he has he if he legitimately has a PTSD issue, then he needs psychological help as well. He needs somebody who can talk this through with him, somebody who can be there, a foundation, people to who believe in him. And that's one of the other difficulties of being a human as well is that. You have to have that kind of infrastructure around you in order for you to feel strong enough to move forward. And there are people who will disagree with this. There are people who 
pick themselves up by their bootstraps all by themselves and go do things themselves. But it's often because they also bury a lot inside and their actions may be good, may be very successful, but it doesn't mean that they're ultimately dealing with the psychological side of things in the most healthy way. So we'll just leave that there. I'm not a psychologist. I just happen to be a fan (laughs) of a lot of these kinds of concepts. So that's Preston Garvey for you. I wish there was more background. For as much as we interact with him, we don't get a whole lot of story. We don't get a whole lot of his background and where he grew up and what it was like and who these other people were in the Minutemen. There's really not a whole lot of other information. There's some information. I'm not going to bore you guys with it. You can go look that up if you want, but it's, it's really not that meaty. There really isn't a whole lot there. Um, I wish there was because I could see the connections from Preston to some of these other individuals and the reasons for their decisions being a really good point to debate. You know, was there another reason why these people abandoned him at, at the battle and didn't show up? Or was it still not legitimate? You know, like those kinds of questions. Usually there's some gray in there. Was there something else going on with some of them? Or is there somebody else who was planning to appear and they were attacked or somebody underneath them killed them and took over? You know, th- there could be other stories around this stuff, but we don't get that. That's not the story of Fallout 4. The story of Fallout 4 is much more f- centered around the, Institute and the Railroad and the Brotherhood. And the Minutemen are kind of this side thing that helps give us other quests to kind of keep doing. But it could very well be a thing in the future. Who knows? Maybe we'll see more Minutemen. Now, there are some other notes here about Preston that I want to go over before the end of the episode. Um, with these kinds of articles, I like to point out some of the things that the characters love and hate. Uh, so Preston likes the following. He Loves when the player character helps settlers and others, other honest people trying to get by. So, of course, he likes that. He likes when the player character offers help. He likes when the player is charitable. He likes it when the player is mean to evil characters. So he's got a side in him that says, well, you know what? Those people are evil, so they deserve it. <laughs> so he's, he's still got a hard edge there on that. He's not, he's not necessarily upset when you're mean to an evil character, but he hates the following. He hates stealing. Okay. He dislikes the Brotherhood of Steel. He dislikes the player asking money for doing favors. He likes when people just do things out of their own kindness of their own heart. He dislikes the player if they have a chem addiction, which is interesting because of his closeness to Mom Murphy. But of course, there's some, you know, friction there. He dislikes the player if they are being selfish. Now, one other note before we wrap up the episode Preston Garvey is a romantic pursuit type character, somebody you can romance and get with and well, get with. And uh, he seems to swing both ways, which is interesting because I I did not realize this because I did not pursue him romantically. In fact, in my game, when I played through, I, you know, met Preston Garvey and then he kind of hung out in my camp and told me to go do other things. But there were other people I wanted to take around the Commonwealth, you know, like I spent a lot of time with, um, Dogmeat. Dogmeat was great. Dogmeat was probably the companion I used the most, which means that I missed out on a lot of other things with other companions. Um, yeah, I liked Dogmeat a lot. I liked uh, I liked Kate because she was cute. I've already mentioned that. You know, I, I liked most of the other companions. We'll just go that, with that. So I didn't bring Preston around with me, but it turns out if you're a male character or a female character, you can romance Preston. He goes both ways. Who knew? I did not know that. That was new new information for me doing the uh, 
the research here. Also, what's kind of cool about Preston is that he does show up in Fallout Shelter, which is kind of neat too. I mean, he's kind of become the icon, the iconic image of the Minutemen. The, his face with the hat, with the brim up on the side, um, and the uh, the laser, the charging laser rifle. That's kind of iconic at this point. I mean, you could do a whole sub-series of this game on the Minutemen and turn it into something way more interesting than just helping the settlements. So, modders, you got some ideas. Get going on that. All right, Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers, thanks for tuning in again. And until next time, there's another settlement that could use your help. I'll talk to you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. 